The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It is my privilege this morning to um, sort of help kick off the uh, 2020 uh, stewardship campaign. Um, generation to generation, stewardship at... Um, St. James, of course. <laughs> now, some of you, or uh, maybe most of you, are aware of the fact that in the Episcopal Church, we generally ask our people to tell us what their intentions are for giving in the next year. And as soon as we have that amount in our, know what that amount is, then we start building a budget. So we don't come up with a figure and say, okay, this is what we need. We do it the other way. So it's important that each one of us consider what is the amount that we would like to give, feel called to give, this coming year. And we'll talk about that a little bit over the next couple of weeks. I think it's really important that we say what I believe in my heart is that God gives us what we need to do what God wants us to do. I trust that in our homes, in our lives, in the church, that we are given what we need to do what we are supposed to do. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of doing a stewardship conference at uh, in a, one of the Episcopal Church, or the Episcopal Church in uh, Stone Mountain, St. Michael and All Angels. I was fairly young priest at that time, and uh, I was really excited about stewardship, have been most of my life. So I was especially excited to do this retreat up at Camp Michael with a large group of the church. The only problem was I'd never tried this retreat out on anybody before. <laughs> so I didn't know whether it was going to work or not, and uh, 
I had enough material for about three weeks just in case things didn't go well, I could find something else. But one of the things I wanted to do on Saturday night was to arbitrarily break everybody into groups. So they just basically numbered off. There was no set pattern whatsoever. And I had been listening to, I was also an interim there when I did this. So I'd been listening to them in the time I was there as interim as to some of the things they were interested in doing. At that time, Stone Mountain was in a great transition and there were many, many things that they could do in the community that would have served the community well and would have helped the church as well. So after I listened to that, I decided that I was going to give these various things out, these projects, these ideas, out to each one of the uh, groups. And they had a period of time to figure out how to get it done. That was their job. And I was, to say the least, my stomach was churning, my hands were sweating, I was ever so nervous because I had no earthly idea how this was going to turn out. My belief was that each group would find within itself the talent that it needed to carry out these various and sundry tasks. Well. God came through beautifully, and they came through beautifully. And there must have been 20 groups. And every one of those groups, whether they were, gonna, they were supposed to build something, or if it was some sort of outreach, or a collection, or whatever it was, I mean, these were wide and varied things. They had the people in their group that could pull this off. And some of those ideas lived and got accomplished. And that was a very faithful moment for all of us in that room just to look around and see that we had all kinds of skills that nobody necessarily knew we knew how to do. But given a need, we could match it. So that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important. We first come to the congregation and say, what do you want to give this year? What is God calling you to offer in terms of money? That's the first part. And we do that not because it's the most important, but because we have a deadline. Our diocese says that our budget will run from January to December 31. So we have to have that in place. So that's pragmatic. Later on in the year, we're going to do a full uh, time and talent search. And it may be that next year we'll figure out how to put it all together into one. But this year we're going to do two different parts, figuring that each one of those is very important. So I want to talk a little bit about why generation to generation. What's important about that? Well, I'm aware because of my own family circumstance that my children, and you've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again, my children don't attend church. They attended church from the time they were we until they had the decision to make of their own. And at some point in their high school years, they began, or at least my son began to drop out. My daughter stayed fairly active in uh, her early years in college. 
they have all sorts of excuses. And if you're the child of a priest, that adds a whole nother list of excuses. <laughs> but nevertheless, and you all can, some of you know what I'm saying, it breaks my heart. They are lovely children. They are spiritual in nature, but they don't see the need for this corporate worship. So what I think about in churches like this and the churches I have served, we're carrying the torch. We are those people that are making sure that when some of these other people have the knock on their back and realize that it's time to come back, there'll be a church to come back to. Now, yes, I read a lot of material about how we can go out and have a conversation with and make a difference with millennials and all the generations after that. But in reality, right now, it is pretty difficult to get a lot of these young people, young adults, to cut out Sunday morning or Wednesday night because that may be the only time they have to do something that they want to do with their lives so busy. What I believe is that we are called to do two things, really. Three things. Pray for the people that we know around us, in our families, in our neighborhood, our friends, whoever, who do not know, have a personal relationship with God that invites them to be part of a community. And some of them have a personal relationship with God, but they're out there on their own. And we also know that there's a, we could not have done the tag sale if we'd have had one person trying to do it, could we? It took the whole community to come together. So we know that Christians that are out there on their own often get into loneliness and into trouble and despair. But what I'm saying is here, we, we pray for those people. That's one. The second, don't ever give up inviting them, sharing with them, telling them, showing them what the parish means to you. We never know when our small witness or our small statement to a friend or a neighbor or a child or a grandchild, it might be that very moment when they can hear. And so we need to continue to invite, and not just to invite, but to invite seriously, as in, can I come pick you up, invite. Or may I meet you at the front door at whatever time. And then third, we wait. We wait. And we listen. And we see what God tells us to do to the, toward these people that we care about. It's not just us barging in. When we open ourselves to pray for somebody that they may be able to be open to hear the word of God, 
then we're also saying, God, you talk to me and tell me how and when I can do this. So, perhaps I best move on. There is a sermon yet to go here. But I just want to say that, that so we're going to be talking about stewardship in general, in general. And it's a beautiful way that we have to get into it this morning with our gospel lesson. So I want to talk about that a few minutes. Here's what's happening. Jesus, and you have to listen to Luke real carefully to pick up on some of these cues. Luke is the only one that has the story of the ten lepers, by the way. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the 17th chapter of Luke. We're getting toward the end of Luke's gospel. So when we start talking about going to Jerusalem, we're not just talking about a day trip. We're talking about that journey that winds him up on the cross. So this is getting toward the end of his earthly ministry. Now, lepers in that day, as we know, they they lived in colonies. They lived alone. They were not supposed to have anything to do with anybody else. They had to beg. They had to do whatever they could to get along. But they had rules to follow. And one of the rules that they were supposed to follow was if they saw somebody who was not a leper coming along, they were supposed to shout, unclean, unclean, so that the person might see them who's walking along the road and know that there was a leper somewhere around. Now, for some reason or other, these ten lepers don't say that to Jesus. They say to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus, have mercy on us. And Jesus doesn't stop. He doesn't hesitate. He simply says to these lepers, go, show yourselves to the priest. You will be clean. Remember now that anyone who's been ill or had a disease or whatever it might be, who's been thrown out of the community, who could not be part of the community, has to go to the priest and be shown that they are clean and can come back into the community. For example, a woman, after she gives birth, after so many days after she gives birth, she could go to the priest and be declared clean. Up until then, she could not go and be a part of any of the services. It's very regimented, very strict. You had to show yourself to the priest. Nine lepers, or it seems like ten lepers start off doing exactly, hear this, exactly what Jesus told them to do. Go to the priest. Jesus, they knew who these who Jesus was. Obviously, they already knew about him. They had to have heard about him. I mean, they were ostracized from the community, but they'd been able to get around enough to know who this man was. That's why they called out for mercy. So here they go. Off they go, following Jesus' command to the priest. The priest would then see, because it says in in the text that as they walked, They saw their limbs transformed. 
their fingers coming back, their skin not being all messed up, their stumps of their legs changing. They watch themselves go through metamorphosis. Wow. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what they must have been feeling? People who for however long it had been, had been not allowed to have contact with their family, their friends, their parish, their synagogue, nobody. They were absolute outcasts. And while they're walking, following what Jesus told them to do, they see themselves changed. Wow. And one of them, one of them, ignores the order of Jesus. His gratitude was so great as he walked down that road to go toward that priest or that rabbi who would bless him and tell him he was clean. His gratitude was so great he couldn't keep going in that direction. And Luke uses that wonderful word that he uses. The Samaritan, the healed leper, turns. It's that word that he used for the good Samaritan when he came to himself and he turned to go home and to tell his father, I have sinned, take me back. So here is this foreigner doubly ostracized. He's, he's ostracized because he's a leper, he's been a leper, and he's a foreigner. And the Jews and the Samaritans have this hostility that is just unbelievable. Think about the Protestants and the Catholics in Northern Ireland, except maybe multiply that a few more times. So here he heads, ignoring what Jesus told him to do in order to do what he had to do. And what he had to do was to throw himself down at Jesus' faith and say, thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Can you imagine how much courage it took for that guy to turn around, not go with the other nine, and to go back to Jesus and prostrate himself at the feet of Jesus and say, Thank you, God. I am overwhelmed with gratitude. What a moment that was. And what happened in that moment was, Jesus said to him, Your faith has made you well. Not just healed of leprosy, but has made you whole. And one of the writers that I read, her name is Thomas, and she does a beautiful blog, and she talked about, she said, she believes that he went back to Jesus because he felt that only Jesus was big enough to be able to welcome him in totality, to welcome him, to allow him to be somebody in front of Jesus not just a foreigner, not just a former leper, not just a Samaritan, not just, but a child of God. And this guy's gratitude was so great that he could not do it. Haven't you felt that way sometime in your life? When something happened 
that was so good, so great, so unbelievable that your whole self filled up with gratitude and you had to say thank you. You had to say thank you. Like many of you, I've been through some ups and downs in my life. And I had a particularly crushing circumstance that happened some years back. And there was a period in my life when I had to reach out to a few of my friends and say to them, in all honesty, I have no prayers. I can't pray. Will you please pray for me? My heart is so broken. My soul is so heavy. I cannot find any words to pray to God. I trusted that they prayed for me. But there came a point down the road long months later when I began to need to pray again. And the most amazing thing for me was all that would come out was thanks. All that would come out of my mouth was gratitude. I couldn't even believe it listening to myself. That's all I had. Somehow or other, there had been healing. And what I thought would break me, I found out I could survive. And where I thought my heart was broken beyond it ever being put back together, I was able to walk my way through it. Painfully, slowly. And when I opened my heart to God again, the words were of gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's the kind of gratitude this man had. This is the kind of gratitude that God wants for God's people. That kind of crazy gratitude where you can't not talk about it. Think about that. Think about that. Think about that moment in your life or moments in your life where something welled up in you so great because of what you felt or saw or been delivered from or whatever, and all you could do was say thank you. My son, the research scientist, sometimes agnostic, sometimes atheistic, sometimes borderline believer, maybe. After his first child was born, I had not gotten up to Chicago yet, and he was on the phone having watched this. He said, Mama, I can't believe it. How, how, can, you, how can you go through this and not be changed? How can this happen to you? You guys never told me what this was going to be like. I believe in my heart that in that moment, my son was overwhelmed with gratitude to a God he may not want to name or even think he knows. But that experience of overwhelming awe is gratitude. It's gratitude. Up here in these mountains, I think some of those moments must be fairly frequent 
when you hit a vista and it's just, it's unreal. It's so beautiful. The colors when they come are just the green, are just the, the way it's all formed. And there's just nothing you can say, but thank you. Thank you for this beauty. See, that's what stewardship is about. It's about giving. It's about saying thank you. It's not, are you going to have problems if you don't give? That's not what it's about. Giving back is the gratitude that's in us. And when we do that, when we say thank you to God or to our neighbor or to somebody that did something for us, it makes us bigger. It makes us better. It makes us fuller. I want to end with these two thoughts. George Stroop wrote an article, and that article he said, the purpose and end of human existence is gratitude and doxology, not because of who human beings are, but because of who God is. The purpose and end of human existence is gratitude and doxology, not because of who we are, but because of who God is. And as we find the ways to say thank you to God, our full humanity blossoms. Leave you with this thought. Anne Lamont, Christian writer, my two favorite prayers are these. My morning prayer, help me, help me, help me. <laughs> My night prayer, thank you, thank you, thank you. I invite you to spend some time this week in your prayers, starting with thank you. Thank you, God, for. And be amazed at what can happen over a period of a week as you find more and more things, even in the worst of days, for which you can be thankful. And I say to that, thanks be to God. Amen.